Let's enjoy every single minute of these amazing episodes. Mm-hmm. Don't, Don't skip wish your the life next. away. Yes. How are you? Real good, Sarah. How are you? Yeah. What's the weather like out there these days? Cold as ever? It's what? consistently cold, but it mm. makes not one bit of difference to me because I never, ever leave my house. That's the right thing to do. I mean, it is. Yeah, and obviously. But I also don't know why people want to leave their house, though, <laughs> to be honest. Well, I mean, well, I know why you I, do. I, I do. <laughs> I don't know exactly why somebody might want to leave their house. And if you're wondering, nothing in mine has changed. So well, you know I want to leave though? mine just a I little bit more like than I did last week. Most of the people that I feel like are real um, antsy and complainy about being locked up or in lockdown or whatever are yeah. people that shouldn't be. It's like people that have nice houses and all the comforts oh. and... Yeah. I'm like, what's your problem? Shut up. Yeah. You know, maybe like, yeah, I tell Ren that. I'm like, w- imagine what we'd be like Yeah. in a in a, in a a big space. Well, I mean, we're essentially sharing like a, a prison cell. I know. You, I feel bad I for. Mean, so, yeah, that that part. It's, it's like, what do other people have to complain about? You know? I, know. I can't even play the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird no matter where I go to do it. But, Why? What know, happened? Whatever. Well, because <laughs> if I'm in the house, I get kind of embarrassed. Like when yeah. I'm learning, because when you're learning and when you're like practicing something, yeah. Th- and I'm a very, uh, when I'm in the zone and in the flow, I kind of talk to myself or I say things out loud. So I'm like, oh god, oh, and well, you know, I forgot to tell you that Adam. Lincoln and I are all taking piano lessons right now. <gasps> oh, that, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, went, I, I saw the full, like, the, the, all, all the stages of parts of that. <laughs> no, no. Tell it, me about that. No, it's good. It's good. And, and Link's doing great. And I know what you're saying, it, but... <laughs> I really don't mind. Was that chopsticks? Did I close enough? So that was going for. I don't mind that at all. Like I find it really comforting, probably because that's what I grew up with. But I totally know what you mean about being embarrassed. And one time I was playing, and Adam was like, "Oh wait, I think you're missing a note there." And I'm like, "Okay, let me just let me just stop this right." No, you, I do not want you to comment. I do not want you to even compliment my playing. Right. I want you to pretend like you don't even hear it. Yes. Yep. That is, and yes, the, I, cause, oh my gosh. Uh Uh-huh. My ex made a comment once about something like that. And I was like, and now I'll never play again. (laughs) And now I have shame. Now I hate the sound of music. I hate that. And I hate everything. (laughs) Yeah. Why so, is it like that? Oh, we need to get over it. Maybe there is some vulnerability in that place of of yeah. being in that that flow place because we really do let our guard down there. <clears throat> we are very vulnerable, you know. Well, remember I don't know. how embarrassed I was when I wasn't very good at Portuguese, but we were in Brazil, so I had to do it. 
It's yeah, like or that. Or you made me do it. I, I have <laughs> taken zero Portuguese. <laughs> I don't like Susan, doing... Sarah, say, do us toalhas. Do us toalhas. <laughs> I got it. I don't like doing something I'm not good at. Yeah. And I definitely well, don't I like doing that. something I'm not good at in front of other people. Yeah. So yeah. And it's why. that. So I, so that, and then my only outdoor area is a balcony that is on oh the first God. floor up. Could you, it was close enough to where you were like talking at me right? with like right. regular or an air horn that right. you had, but, uh, yeah, that would be like, I'm serenading the, it's weird to work out there. It's weird yeah. to, uh, um, do an impromptu bat. Could you imagine I'm like on this, like playing that, and then they're like, shut up, you <laughs> suck, go home, ukulele. Like, <laughs> I suck. bet they really would and like then, it, actually. I, I, it would be like in Italy when those people would play music out of their balconies and everyone would. Susie, you really <laughs> over overestimate my ukulele skills. Like, I like that you think I'm like up there with some like Italian, like, uh, uh, what, what would be like a, yeah, maestro. <laughs> right. Like, like years of playing these Stradivarian. <laughs> Right. I don't even know if that's what it's called, but it sounded good. Right. Oh, gosh. But, well, you know, practice I mean, makes perfect. I feel like the bar would be low, though. In my neighborhood for ukulele yeah. playing? Yeah. Yeah, given what I've heard about your neighborhood. <laughs> right. For real. And you know what? It is a step up from the uh, fire alarms, which has been another thing that has, it takes place, and also the profanities um, of people <laughs> who are struggling, who are housing insecure and struggling with I think it would be a welcome change. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe Think I could do it. that. Yeah, I'll just be like having free concerts. They're they're very social distancing friendly because I could be okay. up above, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just like don't want to be in like spitting range of like me right. like, below. I don't know how that works. I don't really. But no, oh. no, I'm just. Well, I support about, your musicality. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. So what else did I want to talk? To? Oh my gosh, Suze. so much that I want to talk to you about. Oh my God, I saw the best movie. Oh. Do you know what movie I'm going to talk about? Okay. Is it a documentary? It is not a documentary. Wow, there really are a lot of sirens. It is very realistic. I know. You hear them, right? Yes. I'm like, should I tell people that? I think it adds to the middle of a. It's like ambient noise. Okay. Yeah. It's just like background. Did you say it was a documentary? It is not a documentary. I don't know then. Uh, Promising young woman okay i've been hearing about oh this. oh my god tell me susie. everything susie i am going to try so hard to fight back tears here it Aww. is so good okay it is so good oh, oh my I gosh it. it's moving it's but it's like not unless you know what that's like or know people no, who've like? been through that oh okay so let me pull myself <laughs> together for christ's sake it is a revenge thriller about a woman whose name is Cassie, and she – it starts out – okay, also, spoiler alert. You – I'm going – I'm not going to tell the ending because that's, like, the best part, but I am going to give details right here. So, like, you know, just buyer beware. Me. But I don't okay. – yeah, buyer beware. Also, uh, it, I'm not going to get – it's so good you still have to see it. What else? And we talked about this in past episodes, that when you give talk about stuff, it actually makes it better. So you're welcome. Um, <laughs> so – this character, Cassie, is who the story follows, and she 
uh, is oh, she goes to bars and she pretends that she's intoxicated. And then the nice guy takes her home and she uh, plays drunk and plays drunk until, you know, they turn out to be exactly like all of these quote unquote nice guys usually are and do something. And then she, you know, snaps into it and says, she's not drunk and then they get like the reality check and she does that to uh teach guys a lesson or, or to kind of like enact revenge against a somebody who well not just somebody uh, a situation that one of her friends was in in college and her friend of course like so many women who have experienced this like just the school uh, sided with the guy. She ended up dropping out. You know, her life is ruined. And he, it, they're like, oh, let's... You know, it's the typical Brock Turner story. Oh. It's that. And so this is Cassie getting revenge on the people who uh, made that happen. And it's kind of like uh, her her quest for revenge. But so... And I'll say no more about that. But it is so... So, oh my God, I need you to see it. It is every single thing. It forces you to look at the hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. It forces you to look at the kind of woman who also knows about it, but okays that too. And the woman who like, oh, you know, well, she should have like, shouldn't have put herself in that position. And you're like, oh, it is, it is so good. And I, I felt like it it was so honest and it was so i feel like every single woman needs to watch this and also watch like they need to t- show this in school and they like Whoa. they should watch it with like in high school for real and they should watch it with their boyfriend and then look at your boyfriend or husband and like what what does he look like when you're watching this and if he looks freaked the fuck out ask some questions because Ren and I were talking about this that it was like while we were watching it and, uh, you know, and he was like, you know, in the Me Too movement, it was real easy to see the guys who, you know, didn't know where the line was and how they reacted because there were a lot of butts, you know. Yeah. Not I was like, uh-huh, yeah. I know. And it, this whole movie is that. And, like, you know, Ren, we were watching it kind of late at night and Ren fell asleep. And there was such a big part of me that wanted to, like, elbow and be like, wake up, wake up, you have to say this. Really? So <laughs> I'm going to force Just it. because I feel like every, to know what that experience is like for a woman, the monologues in it are so good. The parts where um, you just hear the lines that the guys say all the time that, or the, the, the victim blaming and the way that, that police respond or the way that the dean of the school responds, how we try to protect these guys. Oh, I loved it. Wow. So, and I look, you, I didn't it even wasn't triggering for you. It was, it was triggering for me in the sense that, uh, Let's say I was definitely um, a more empowered woman for the next four days. It took me a while to be like, I was like, yeah, fuck the patriarchy and don't tell me what to do. I put up a tweet that uh, like retweeted somebody that was like, well, just watch Promising Young Woman and no man ever like better dare look at me in the eyes for the next few days. I was like, don't look at me because like it's. This is not just one woman. This is like all of us mm-hmm. have these stories. This is like, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, yeah, that happened. Oh, yeah, you know. And it's, it's, 
it's such commonplace that like I felt like this movie really forced you to look at yeah, like, see like you it could not real. look away. See it for real. Mm-hmm. And if it makes you uncomfortable, then All right. Deal, you deal told with me. Then, yeah. Oh, yeah. and there were other things that I loved about this movie that were so fantastic. Uh one great representation mm-hmm. without announcing it yeah like they had laverne cox played the um coffee shop owner like the the manager or the owner of the store where the character worked and never once were they like made it a thing or t- like it was just she's just an actress mm-hmm. and i like that or an actor, yeah right because you know, we're calling everybody that. so i loved i absolutely <laughs> love that the ending is fantastic and it just is so it's like a must see um yeah i definitely want to see this movie yes but that so i was so like i don't know worked up implies that i was like angry like empowered i was empowered mm-hmm. i was like i felt recognized like like wow. my feelings were validated in a movie oh now i'm gonna cry Aww. because like it it's hard to even explain what that's like, mm-hmm. you know, that to people or even like, it's just really great to see a movie that does that. But mm-hmm. what pissed me off so much is afterwards I was like, okay, I can't be the only one who has these strong, passionate feelings. And I want to look up some stuff to talk about this on the show. So I found this to be super interesting. I go to look at some movie reviews because I'm like, let's see. I wonder what Rotten Tomatoes, 91%. Yeah. Okay. Sarah, 100%. Uh, <laughs> Sarah, I'm like, wait, what is she talking about? <laughs> I'm talking about the rating systems. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I'm glad that you, I was like waiting for you to catch up to that too. So thank you. <laughs> it's like, is um, this some sort of site I don't know about? That's nope. So that's great. me and my rating. Uh, so then. I'm looking up articles that movie reviews have written about this to see, like, what are what do the critics say? Yeah. I come across two articles, both written within, let me see how many days, two days of each other, both on RogerEbert.com. Okay. One, one written by a man. Oh, no. One written by a woman. Oh, my God. Man gives it three stars. Woman gives it five stars. Okay. The opening lot, the, the, the opening part, this is, I am going to cry in this. The opening thing in her article is I sat staring at my laptop, my eyes and let my eyes go out of focus. I've just received a message from my dear friend. My message, um, by message, I mean an apology about never believing that I was raped. I read phrases like, I can't believe I did this to you. I should have listened. I shouldn't have taken his side. All focusing on how they, how they felt. I'm put into the position of needing to comfort them, falsely letting them know all is forgiven. My heart stops. My vision blurs. I lose sensation in my fingers. I don't know what to say. All I do is cry. This is just one of the memories that came flooding back to me as I watched Emerald Fennell's directorial debut, Promising Young Woman. And it's like... And it said the movie transported me to some of the worst moments of my life where I tried to pick up the pieces, blah, blah, blah. Then you go to this motherfucker who writes, uh, uh, this is this. The tone is so different. I couldn't even believe it. Um, promising young woman is a tonal roller coaster, but that's part of the point. Trauma often makes for swings of mood and decision making and 
we never forget that Cassie is a traumatized person taking out her pain on the patriarchal systems. Uh, it's a film about a woman searching for catharsis that she'll simply never find. Look at the notebook with the names of the men she's teaching. She's trying to teach a lesson to. There are dozens of them. And there's a sense that, uh, that even going right to the people who cause the pain can only do so much, which uh, blah, 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 blah. And, oh, it, it was like the opposite. It, it says it get, uh, Oh, this one? How about this? Instead, give me a movie which makes, which doesn't use trauma as an emotional manipulation or put women in jeopardy as a cheap writing trick. What? Wow. I, it's the, it's the, it's Roger Ebert. They're both on the same. I was just like, wow, that is a male, per, like, because I had to see, like, what do men think about? What are, what are, I, I, well, I just couldn't yeah. even believe how, I mean, then I could. But the tone was so different. It was like... What's the name the of that movie, guy? Uh, his name is Brian Talerico. T-A-L-L-E-R-I-C-O. His picture is on there. And it's like... You know, and he taught, he says, this is how he starts out off the article. A woman at a bar appears incredibly intoxicated, falling all over herself, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she's in trouble. He's a nice guy. And if he doesn't get her home safely, a bad guy might do something horrible to you. The, it's... It's like he's sympathizing with the men. Of course. Mm. I just, and it's so subtle and you really have to, you would have to go like line by line and kind of take it all into, uh, you know, you know, I, later in this episode, we're going to post the, um, interview that I did with Chris Hansen, who's, oh, well, if that is inappropriate yeah, to catch a predator. And one of the questions that I asked him was, if he ever felt bad for these guys, <clears throat> uh-huh. because I don't know if you've ever, ever felt that when you were watching the show, but I have moments that I'll feel like, oh, like, cause their whole life is over, you know, in, in theory, right. When they walk in uh-huh. the door, uh-huh. but then I always recalibrate and say like, mm-hmm. oh, well, <laughs> that's that something yeah. that's been conditioned. We're conditioned to feel yeah. bad for these white predators. Yeah. Through true crime yeah. and stuff. And so oh, God. he this review stinks of that. Cause he's not yes. recalibrating. He's not doing the thing where he checks himself and says, No, we don't feel bad for someone who preys on young women or whatever. Yeah. Wow. And calling her and he even referred to what she was doing as an interesting hobby. Oh my God. I it was like he just my stomach. It. Like I was like, wow. And then, so I read that first because I was like, is this what Roger and Eber have to say about it? Like what? Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, Googled it again and looked at other ones. And then I I was shocked when it was the same website and I couldn't help but think about the, um, Meghan Markle and, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Princess Kate. Kate Milton. Yeah, yeah. That kind of, you know, how it could be the same newspaper talking about two different people or from the perspective of two different things. And it just totally changes. And so, yeah, so that made me, you know, filled with rage. And then um, I went to the post office the next day and I had to like put some packages in the, it, I got there before it opened and I needed to put some, you know, packages and sending out some po- Poshmark stuff. And uh, they, the box or, or the 
the thing that you put the mailbox, the, the packages in, and then you, like, close it, and it goes down a little chute, blah, blah, blah. It was all jammed, and you couldn't fit any boxes in. I have about 20 boxes in my <clears throat> basket. Like, I have a big basket that has tons of boxes in it. There is a man standing behind me, probably, like, 35 years old, about my age, like, you know, regular dude, uh, uh, standing behind me. He is uh, watching me struggle this whole time. I (coughs) recognize that I'm not going to be able to get it done, that this is definitely clogged or jammed. And I turn around and the guy walks over and goes, and I go, oh, it's not going to fit. It's, it's jammed. And he goes, this won't fit. And I look at him and I'm like, I hold up the envelope that I'm holding. That is no more, it's like four by eight. And I was like, this didn't fit. (laughs) <laughs> did you not see me do that yeah what were you watching i just i couldn't i was like and the way he was looking at me like oh let me try i was like i can't today so <laughs> he got a little bit of my uh feelings about this movie mm-hmm. and and he's probably walking around going what the fuck is this well, it's kind of so like microaggressions about? right yeah it was like i was like i i'm because well, he didn't believe so. you and you yes. weren't believed again oh <gasps> Oh, oh my God. Right? Susie, ju- this is why we can't be our own therapists. You can't tickle yourself. You can't recognize. You can't tickle yourself. That is, that is so true. But and I even though it's even something small, that. it's the same I wasn't feeling. Believed. It's the same. That is exactly that feeling I got. I was like, oh, you want to tell me it doesn't fit? Right. I, like, like, go ahead. Um, okay. So yes, that movie is a cannot miss. Also, okay. shout out to Mary Beth McAndrews. She is the wonderful woman who wrote that very great, fantastic, accurate, and wow. uh uh fully like all encompassing review, or I That's guess. It's fantastic. That. Yeah. <clears throat> I just was it and then what I'm finding is a lot of people calling it a dark comedy. Oh. I did not find it funny. Like I Why did, would they I, say I it was almost like the com- like there were moments where I was like, "Fuck yeah!" I was like, "Oh, let's do this!" And like I felt like that excited and like good, but it wasn't like I'm laughing. And they people are saying that because two of the the oh, writers, I think, or two producers are showrunners on Killing Eve, and it kind of has those vibes. I think I've yeah, never seen that like show though, so I don't know. I see. Yeah, I think it's a tone. But And so much of it, I think, can be dismissed as like, oh, it's just kind of like like bubblegummy. Like it kind of has a pop music video sort of feel. But yeah. I think that's super intentional. I don't think. I know. Because right, I, I listened to the interviews of the – to talk about the juxtaposition of the um, like, oh, she's supposed to be a nice girl kind of thing. Right. Like she – like – and then one of the other things that I thought um, the casting did such a great job with is all of the guys who were cast as the, uh, like, shitty dudes who yeah. did this were... Comedians. Stereotypical... Comedians and stereotypical nice guys in TV shows. Like right, they were, that's good. They were cast as, like, nice guys. Good, I'm so glad. So you're see Yes. And the, I was listening to an interview with the, the uh, director. She's like, yep, that was... Um, or producer. 
or maybe yeah producer and she's like that was very intentional that was like we wanted to show that this is that was another that- thing that i said to chris hansen that i liked about to catch a predator was that it showed the public oh, yes. that the boogeyman didn't exist that it's your neighbor it's oh. your brother it's your boyfriend and you picture this monster but it's just a person it's just a person. Oh right. my gosh! Yeah, that's so important. Whew. Ex- I mean, I, except up. maybe in the case of uh, the Night Stalker. Holy crap! Because I watched <laughs> God, that did you too. Watch it? Yeah. yeah, that was like murder was like porn. If like th- that was crazy. That was t- that was. I can't believe what they showed on there. That felt like not. I I, I was. It felt very. It was grisly, wasn't it? Yeah. Grisly. Mm -hmm. And and I didn't need all of the photos of the crime. I mean, the crime scenes were just, it was crazy. And it really highlighted some really bad, some really good police work. And also um, how terrible it is, the lack of communication between uh, different systems and different... um, jurisdictions why i thought that i agree with you that was the thing i took away from that was how yes when there's always going to be flaws when human beings are involved um but that they're competitive with each other the various precincts and um city um law enforcement and so they are not incentivized to share with each other that was a a revelation to me gosh i never thought about it i wonder if oh gosh because that it seems so ego driven right it seems so caring more about yourself and your own accomplishments it's almost like they wanted the the trophy of getting him yes more than the victims and i just really and maybe this is just from watching that movie but i just see that as kind of like not really a female trait well i think you're right about that Okay, I just, you know, hashtag not all men. That's but. funny because women have this, um, there's this stereotype that we're all competitive with each other, but I don't think it's in the same way. I feel like it's it's different. Ooh, yeah, because it does, it, it's, I think the empathy almost mm-hmm. overrides that. Mm-hmm. The compassion and... Well, and the we're socialized reason, to be nice and helpful. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And the, I wonder about the reasons for a man entering work as a detective or, or a homicide investigator and a woman and her motivation and intention behind, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure maybe they're they're similar in many ways, but I don't, you know, I don't know. It would be it just, and I always wonder, like, you know, the, all those, those memes and stuff you see of, like, um, you know, if we would never go to war if a woman were president because we'd like <laughs> sit down and talk about things, you know, and talk about our feelings. And right. uh, it feels like kind of that same vibe of like, oh, we like, would, yeah, there's like a civility. Would we really care about this? Mm-hmm. Like just fucking, you know, we, we're, we have to share everything anyway. One thing I'm unwilling to share is my Magic Spoon cereal. Ah, well. I'm it, it is delicious. And uh, you can keep that all to yourself because I got my nice collection over here. <laughs> That's really good. Boy, you're musical today. Really? Oh, good. Well, I mean, the cereal has that kind of music-y vibe, and I feel like that cereal doesn't have a jingle and should. Magic spoon. (laughs) Magic spoon. Take it to the moon. It's magic spoon. 
<laughs> well, and it's another example, just like Monk Pack, where they're developing delicious foods that are better for you than all the sugary, yes. gross stuff we usually eat. So I'm encouraged by that because it can be hard to eat healthy. So I love anyone that's innovating ways to get me to do it. <laughs> And you know what I also, that just, what just came to my mind, if you're looking for ways to just make little changes, yes. why not mix it and go 50-50? Right. Take your regular stuff and just, and like, you know, I, I'm thinking of what I do with my dog when yeah. she doesn't want to eat new <laughs> stuff. Been. I'm like, just mix it. And then you'll be like, this is delicious. But you don't even have to worry because it truly is so yummy on its own. Amen to that. They have cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry. Oh, and I just ordered, what was it? peanut butter and cinnamon i think that's the best one yeah they recommended it and i was like well absolutely it tastes amazing honestly sounds too good to be true but it's it's not keto friendly gluten-free grain-free soy-free low-carb gmo-free what more do you want go to magic and a bunch of protein yeah slash brain candy grab a variety pack and try it today and be sure to use our promo code brain candy at checkout you'll save five dollars on your order and magic spoon is so confident in their product it's backed 100 percent happiness guarantee so if you don't like it for any reason they'll refund your money no questions asked mm. that's magic spoon.com slash brain candy use promo code brain candy to save five dollars off and thank you magic spoon for sponsoring brain candy this entire podcast sponsored by <laughs> nightstand snacks and things <laughs> on her bed. Sponsored by staying in bed. I'm happy about that. Yeah. It's like they get like, us. They see us. Because that's another good... Cereal is my go-to nighttime snack. <sighs> well, it, Remember when Ke- Kylie Jenner said that she never had milk with cereal? Oh, my God. Why did she... Yes. Do you remember that? Yes. And we were like, oh, okay. Like, hmm, weirdo. We're not buying it. Yeah, well, we decided that it was because she probably has had live-in chefs her whole life. Oh, my God. And they make her breakfast, and she doesn't know about cereal on the, like as a breakfast because you don't have time right. or energy or you're freaking busy and you need something quick. And that she doesn't know about that life because somebody Can like you made her breakfast. Can you imagine living like that? Nope. <laughs> don't. No. Please. When, 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 I, when like Ren makes me dinner, I'm like, oh, my God. This is so amazing. This is like such a... No, I can't even imagine what it would be like to wake up to a buffet breakfast. And, well, <laughs> it was kind of like that one time in my life. Oh, my God. It was amazing. On the challenge <laughs> when we were in Namibia, Africa. Well, I don't know places. what it was. It, it, what, I don't know what it was about like what the deal the crew had with the, the caterers there. But we would wake up to this spread that was like... Oh, it was like something out of serving? one of those Pinterest. Oh, fruit and charcuterie and br- like breads and danishes and everything under the sun and fresh squeezed juices. And it was like that. Those like plat, like the whole table is full with it. I can remember it now. God, I love a buffet. <laughs> I was just thinking of you for that reason. What the hell was it? I no joke mourn buffets at least <laughs> once to one to two times oh, a week. More like actually grieve. I remember what I was going to ask you or going to tell what? you, which is that what? I have been converted to the fun size candy bars. Remember how I said, okay. yeah, I thought you were crazy. Right. And what, what did it for you? <clears throat> well, we just had a bunch left over from Halloween yes. and Christmas. So they were just lying around. And so I did, in fact, they were even those mini ones, which are even smaller. Yeah. I mean, that's pushing it a bit, but... I know. I was just going to say, whoa, 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 dial it back a bit, sister. I mean, but I, all of a sudden, I caught what you meant, because then you can have, yeah. like, three different kinds. 
Yes, thank you. Just like one. There she is. Yes. I was like, Sarah is right. It might take me a while, but I always get there eventually. (sighs) My three favorite words. I just love them so much. (laughs) It makes my heart just. And I, (sighs) whenever I eat one, I always hear you saying, "I love a lot of a little," or no, a little of a lot. I do. I love a little of a lot. Yeah, it's the best, the best kind of thing. Yeah, makes me feel. So our Namibia had great breakfast, though. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I have a feeling it might be the income inequality and the uh, there seems to be a big like gap, income inequality gap there. And mm. it was like more than any of the places that I had been to and where we were specifically. <clears throat> and so I think there's like a... You were treated a great, like royalty. Yes. And mm. it, it was in, in a... Oh, I enjoyed the food, but there were parts of it that felt n- not... Is comfortable to me. Ah, I get you. But I get you. You know saying. what I mean? Yeah, it's like fun, but yeah. and especially when we're with the people, for, the people I was with. Let me give. Let me just put yep. it this way. And I can say this because they were doing it on camera. Yeah. Uh, Zach from the show was running around the airport screaming, uh, "Where do they keep the blood diamonds? Where can I buy blood diamonds?" And I was oh like, my "Oh my god, get me away from these people!" I can't even believe that that's disgusting that, yeah and i think at the time he was like walking around in like american flag shorts too which is like fitting so you know that's like the ugly american go. yes it's like that so i oh mean God, i noticed now I'm that like on every that season i noticed how like a lot of times the cast would Like they would be pally with like whoever was bringing the food or sort of like Mm -hmm. the local, the bus driver. Yeah, but it was always with this tone of um, you're not actually Mm -hmm. a person. You're just a prop for Mm -hmm. me to make jokes, kind of. Yep. Thing. Yep. I can remember so many of those. Where yep, I remember Johnny asking the bus driver in uh, Huatulco in Mexico, "How do you say?" cotton rocket because he was calling saying that all, the girls are all on their period wow and he was like telling them and i remember it's Rocketta algodon and uh wow. i'm really annoyed that i remember that and that that had to be translated and that the bus driver's looking like what is he saying like why and so he was the butt of the joke and it's like not fucking cool no it isn't and so. i noticed that all the time but they do it in a way that it would be hard to call them out because it seems like right. they're being nice, but they're really not. Right. Yeah, and that person is, oh, God, and they, you know they're embarrassed in a weird way and like, oh, because my the heart. on them and they don't really yeah. know why. I hate that. I hate everyone. It's, I, I do too. Oh, <laughs> God. Um, you'll hate everyone even more, but also not. You'll like people too. Um, after you watch, which you have to, The History of Swear Words on Netflix. Oh, my God. Yeah, I did. Did you watch the bitch one? No. Suze, that's the best one. Okay, I'll watch that one. I had no idea how much that word disempowers women. I knew about it in... I thought I knew. Right. But but when I really watched... When I watched that episode and, and... Again, it just like in that promising young woman, it makes you look at it like, and and it's just hearing about hearing it from scholars and from academics and people who 
um, are talking about their experience being called that. And also, it's hilarious. The show's so funny. But that episode especially, like, I re- did not realize how misogynistic that word was and just how much it affected me. Yeah. And I didn't really know. Like, maybe I knew what it... I know it. Like, when we talk about... We talk about it on here and how, mm. you know, even when you use it to address males, you're really, like, bad because you're female-like and how it's, like, they called it the shotgun of, of uh, uh, bad words because it, like, mm. hits everyone. It puts down everyone who, when you use it. And a, I loved how that series... You know, like you said, they rely on scholars to provide the etymology yeah. and the lexography of like how a word came in to be and mm-hmm. how it evolved over time. So it's they use comedy. There's comedians that weigh in yeah. too, but then they provide you with actual substance to bolster that, which yes. that's my favorite thing. My favorite. It was so good. I love Nikki Glazer. She's so funny on there. And they were talking about. I'm a, I, I, they were talking about. Um, uh, you know, using the term bitch and how it originated from uh, biche, which is uh, used a thousand, about a thousand years ago, and they re- referred to a dog. And she was like, you know, I like, I don't call my dog or like I, my dog, I would never like call her a bitch. She goes like, I mean, she is a bitch, but I don't call her that. <laughs> I, I call her a cunt. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm dying. <laughs> the jokes are just so good. I mean, she's a bitch, but I don't call her that. Right. That's I call what her I a love. Cunt. Oh God, I was dying. I thought that joke was so, so freaking good. So all of the stuff in there just like cracked me up. And, um, you know, also, so, oh, one of the things, the facts I have to share this, I couldn't even believe this. It was not. Until 2015, or I should say up until 2015, if you were to pick up a a Merriam-Webster dictionary and you were to look up the word bitch, Mm -hmm. you would find it to say female dog slash domineering woman. Wow. Nowhere in there would it say it's offensive. Nowhere did it say that it was, uh, uh, you know. Taboo or a curse word or something. Anything. Yeah. Nothing. And the best is that they have the woman who actually put it in there, interviewed. Okay. Her name's Corey Stamper, and she's the lexicographer. And uh, and she was like, when I went to work for Miriam Webster, I was shocked. Like, how did they not have this label? And she was like, well, now it does. I put one in. And I oh, just good. loved that. Yeah. yeah. And she like, in 2000, the same year that we put the word twerk in the dictionary, we added the label that it's offensive wow. to bitch. That is crazy to me. We got a long way to go. So long, and it's like little things. Oh my gosh! Well, but that is such a good documentary and or, or show, and you got to check it out. And you already did. So yes. Okay. Oh yes. So definitely check that out. I absolutely loved it. I think Nicholas Cage is the perfect host for a show on swear words. What it is? Was, what is your opinion of Nicholas Cage? I mean, he's good. Perfect right? for hosting a show on <laughs> yeah. Perfect for hosting a show on swear words. Like, you know, he uh, he would be fun to have as an uncle and not <laughs> uh, not my favorite person to like date or have as a dad. Yeah, he's a little unhinged, and it's great for yeah. entertainment. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like, and that's why. So Ren and I were talking about like, um, uh, you know, who should host the show and, and be. We were saying, you know, what about Samuel Jackson? Like, he's kind of like the right. king of curse words. And, Weren't you surprised um, when they revealed who actually yep. swears the most? 
Yep, I, I sure was. I couldn't even believe it. I, we won't spoil that yeah, for you. Yeah, it wasn't him. It. it wasn't Samuel. Yeah, it wasn't him. I couldn't even believe it. But then it makes sense. Like when you have like one, it's right. like, if it's heavy and for just, you know, I won't give it away. Yeah. But um, yeah, so so but my argument with Nicolas Cage was that he's more of the like, like Samuel Jackson curses to like it's part of how he speaks and it's like to make a point yeah. and it's like uh, uh, uh part of his i don't even know what you call it i nicholas cage seems to me like oh, oh how about this samuel jackson his choices it's like he's making an active choice to curse it seems <laughs> like nicholas cage is reactive cursing oh. he's like fuck you know it's like that <laughs> Right. He's like that guy. He's not, you can't, Samuel Jackson is like, listen here, motherfucker. And, you know, <laughs> Nicolas Cage is a different kind of, he's that like a reactive so good. person. I love so that. So it feels like more reaction, like more How like. How would you uh, describe your approach to that, though? Oh, probably like, like with the language a little more. Like my reactions are more, more like oopsie daisy ish kind of thing <laughs> than like because i don't get because i don't get it seems like nicholas cage goes from zero to 60 real quick i'm a slow bur- i'm like a slow mm-hmm. you know it takes me a while and then i'm like mm, i'm just sad i get sad before i get angry okay so like when you do swear is it in anger or oh comedy no or- i comedy yeah for sure mm-hmm. i don't think or i did use one curse word and then apologize for it when i was talking to the um woman about the apartment you did i said i i I said something about like but it wasn't like you know directed at her it was like to put up with this shit or put up with it it's like insane to think we're gonna put up with this you know whatever i said but you know something like that don't you think swear words are sort of silly the silliest thing, I think we should get rid of them. It's like, you know, even when I was thinking about the Nikki Glazer joke and she says the word cunt and I was like, oh my God, I want to say that on here, but can I say that word? Right. And I was like, S- who says I can't? And it's just like me who has a problem with that, which, you know, is fine, whatever. But, but maybe also, we like, would be sad if there weren't words that were sort of off color. We, well, then that show does talk about why yeah. it helps us and how even if we don't, use swear words we use words that sound like swear words yeah and like the people who say fudge like you're activating the same parts of your brain can you believe when they said that your grip strength increases by five percent if you swear <laughs> i couldn't i couldldn't but i also could i mean that is remarkable five percent here's what i need to know though mm-hmm. does it increase by five percent if you go from can we substitute grunting for swearing Right. Like guttural, right. you know, because I think of when, you know, I play for like the second that I played tennis or attempted it, um, you know, I was definitely like Serena Williams out there with like the, oh, you okay. know, so they and so we that. know that yeah. that increases your strength. And I wonder, would there be a difference if every time you hit the ball, you said, fuck, you know, or like, is it just with pain tolerance? Is it with strength? With We have follow up questions. Because it, it, it sort of implied that the increase in strength came from the adrenaline that comes from using a word that's right. um, taboo. So Correct. maybe the grunt just increases your, like your, mm-hmm. the engagement of your abdominal muscles rather, oh. you know, like something like that. 
like, yes, kind of like the smiling, hold the pencil in your mouth, makes yeah. you smile, then you think you're happier. Mm-hmm. Suze. I don't know. I mean, just give us the honorary degrees. <laughs> like, I mean, you're already a doctor, <laughs> but just like... Like we I should have a PhD brilliant. in research and just like ideas. Do they have that? Can you, can you do? I want to, I want that. So clearly Sarah's confidence is not struggling today. You know I'm what? feeling good. I love that oh. idea because we are really, we get really excited about ideas, right? We should be doctors of that. Doctors of ideas. I mean, if, if, if Will Shorts can be a doctor of puzzles, I could definitely be a doctor of ideas. Well, because you know how PhD stands for doctor of philosophy? So that would make it an ID. So we're doctors of ideas. I like that. Which is close to a PsyD, which is what I'm only two years away from having. Right. Which is a doctor in psychology. Yeah. So you're Sarah Rice. I'm writing it down right now. ID. Oh, I love this. Okay. That looks beautiful. I like that. Oh, great. Look at that. <laughs> so much better than what did I, what was I, master, or, or oh my call, which we learned was just what you call a little boy back in oldie times who. <laughs> master Sarah Rice. Some, the, the kind of guy who would be having a big buffet anywhere he went. Oh, annoying. Sarah, that was classic. And when I was uh, like, you know what? I think maybe like I had to like tiptoe into it because I didn't want to. I was like, it. nope, nope, never, nope. That's not it. <laughs> I saw it on like for- American Airlines, <laughs> like for like children. Oh God, you tickle me, Suze. Oh, that is funny. Listen, what else did I want to talk to you about? Well, hmm. I mean, we could just introduce our 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 interview if you'd like yes i'm so excited to hear this okay well i was really excited to to interview chris hansen because i love uh the work that they did on to catch a predator and just how it Mm -hmm. captured the imagination of the american culture and people and like i talked to him about how he basically became a meme and you know sort of representative of like catching these guys i did not ask him if he liked sweet tea because i just thought it would be a you know offensive Uh. But the sweet tea always we're comes all to mind, wonder. right? Yes. Because <laughs> there were so many things about that show that were just fascinating and the work that they did in catching these guys, these predators. Oh, but yes. I just think it's fascinating that his career took this turn and it was never his intention to be the to catch a predator guy. So I wanted to find out about his career. What oh, I'm thinks. so interested. And what I think you'll love about it is he broke down the predators into different groups. Like there's this kind, there's this kind. And that is oh fascinating. Oh my God. This is that, you know what? Wow. Is this a full circle episode? Right. This is, that's empowering in and of itself to know who these, it's like, yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. And you learn a lot because you kind of lump them all. You, if you think of a pedophile, you think of one type of person, but there are like right. these different categories that he's, noticed over the years anecdotally and -hmm. i thought it was insightful so i hope you enjoy it he has a podcast out now called predators i've caught and so (laughs) you should definitely check that out because he says that he constantly gets asked like what was the weirdest moment blah 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 and so he's like i'll just have this podcast and tell everybody about each one so that's cool anyway we'll catch you next time everybody We'll see. All right. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review, but let's uh, welcome Chris to the show. All right. Welcome to the show, Chris Hansen. You're on Brain Kenny Podcast. I can't believe we snagged you. 
We have been dying to talk to you because, you know, you're legendary and everything. In my own mind. <laughs> and in the cultural world, everyone. Like, that's what I was thinking about when I was preparing to talk to you. I was thinking about how weird it must be for you to be in sort of, ju- you started in this career and then you became like something bigger than even one person. Do you feel that sense of like, you're the guy? Yeah. I mean, uh, sometimes I do. I tell you, it was funny because I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years ago, my two oldest were still in high school and, you know, to them and being on TV was just another job. I mean, they went to high school with kids whose dads were, you know, hedge fund managers and, you know, heads of the different federal agencies and all that stuff. And, and then one day South Park did a Chris Hansen to catch a predator spoof. And suddenly I was like the coolest dad at all of their high school. <laughs> and it sort of, it sort of hit me then. It's like, wow, this thing, this story has mm-hmm. become somewhat iconic when it ends up on South Park. You know, I've been an investigative reporter for 40 years now. And, you know, the predator stuff is, you know, 5% of my portfolio. Right. But yet, you know, it is what people know me for. And, and you get to a point in your career, whether you, you, you say, well, I want to step away and do something else or whether you, you embrace it and use it and harness the power. And, and that's, you know, ultimately what I decided to do. And I think that was the right thing to do. Yeah. When you were embarking upon your career, what did you envision? I thought when I was at Michigan state university, if I could get to channel seven action news, you know, in Detroit and like be a street reporter, that would be the, the ultimate. Be all, and, all. and by the way, I would have been fine. Yeah. You know, that, that's cool with me. That's a great gig. And, um, you know, but it didn't stop there. And I was very blessed with, you know, some opportunities and some breaks and some really smart producers and, you know, people who coached me through it. And because it, it's not an easy jump necessarily to go from local news in Detroit, where I was, to the network. And not just the network, but to the network news magazine where the the cadence is different. The writing is different. The storytelling is different. And your presence has to step up. And, you know, basically the way it all went down, Jeff Sucker, who was the executive producer at the time, you know, inherited me. And there was a big mix up in who's doing what show. And, you know, he and some other producers took the time, Paul Greenberg and others, to say, okay, we got this kid, you know, relatively speaking, let's mold him let's train him. Let's, let's make him better and, 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 you know, without that, you know, I'm not here today. What do you think it was about you that was so well suited for that particular job? I'm too stupid to realize there's anything I cannot do. <laughs> That's so great. Really? You feel like that? Like the sky's I, I, the I, limit. I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm very blessed, you know, in, in all aspects of life right now. And I feel really centered and focused on the next phase of things. So it, I just, I think there's a natural sense of curiosity that I have. I think there's a, a natural sense of defying authority uh, in some ways and not being afraid to ask the question that others may not be ready to ask. And in a deep sense of, of wanting to know something that nobody else knows. You know, to me, the coolest part about being a reporter in Detroit was that, you know, I worked with the undercover narcotics officers and agents. I, I had access to those things because I had built a trust with these people. And whether it was the mayor who begrudgingly respected me, even though I asked him difficult <laughs> questions, you know, I, I, I was cool with Colmenia, you know, and he was cool with me. Now, I almost gave him a heart attack three times, <laughs> but we were cool, you know, and, and so I could walk that line between, 
you know, being a good reporter and honoring um, confidences and holding information until it was ripe and ready to be picked. And I think that served me well over the years. And, and it's great knowing something that nobody else knows and then telling the world about it. I mean, it's, I always tell my kids, it's like, you know, being in college and, you know, you do your research, then you write the paper. And that's the fun part of it. It's like being a lifetime student. You know, do you think that they want to follow in your footsteps? They have. I have no way. My oldest is um, in television production and uh, assistant cameraman for a lot of major television productions, including some of my own. And he's uh, he's doing great. He lives in, in Brooklyn where all the cool yes. kids live. And uh, <laughs> the second one is a reporter for the Fox station Come on. in Oklahoma City. Oh my gosh, what's your secret? I need my kids eight years old. I gotta start. Well, you got a lot of time. What's the the secret? Well, I I just, you know, I think they were exposed to a lot of things in life that, you know, other kids don't get exposed to. And, you know, they were in a household where, you know, it wasn't uncommon for the governor to be there on occasion is a neighbor at the time or was a neighbor at the time, uh, FBI agents and judges and, you know, people to whom they're exposed that widened their world and made them very curious. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not lost on me that it's a bit of a break, you know, to have me as your dad in this business, but you know, it can, that can also be a curse. If you don't have the, the fire in the belly to go do it, you're not going to make it. People ask, you know, how do you think Connor's mess? He's great. He's more talented than I was at 26, but, you know, now let's just see how, how lucky he is, you know. Well, I imagine, too, that having watched up close your career, they know the sacrifices that you had to make, too. Absolutely. They see both sides of it. I mean, yeah. they saw the, you know, the, the weeks away from home on a story in India or, you know, West Africa, and they also saw the, the fun of coming home with, you know, tchotchkes and carved elephants and stuff that, you know, not many people had. They also went with me on shoots, you know, and they spent time in the office. And there's some great old pictures of, you know, both boys, you know, at NBC with me and seeing things and doing things that most people don't get a chance to see and do. Well, some people, lesser people, would probably rest on their laurels, but you're still hustling. And, like, what? Uh, do you just feel compelled? Okay. <laughs> you like it's always yeah, in there. <laughs> you keep staying creative, and now is it true that you you've started a podcast? We have a podcast now oh, that uh, is out. Episode one is out, and I recorded two and three just this week. Predators I've caught. Tell me about it. It's really cool. So we go back over the hundreds of cases. Uh, of guys that got arrested surfaced in our sting operations over the years. And we just, you know, went out and did another sting just weeks ago, you know, so we're back at that too. Oh my God. And um, people ask, you know, what was the scariest guy? What was the most alarming guy? What was the creepiest guy? And I always say it's about a hundred way tie for first, but this is, a <laughs> chance, this is a chance to go back and say, okay, I'm going to take you inside this moment. And then, where are they today? The rabbi, David Kay, who is so iconic, who showed up in the second predator investigation, who mm-hmm. ended up being convicted and sentenced to prison for, you know, almost six years. He's been in and out of prison four or five times now. Right. You know, the guy who famously put his sweatshirt over his head with his ball cap and said, I don't want to be on TV, dog. He just got popped last month <laughs> stealing a car from a gas station in Punta Gorda, Florida. Wow. You know, so it, it's, it's allowed me to get back into this, you know, and visit some of these cases. And, and I think it's just you know, 
it's fascinating storytelling. And I joke with the producers on this and, you know, I say, uh, uh, you know, I, I like to do it fairly unscripted. I like to do it in chunks and have it, you know, kind of the ideas in front of me. But, you know, there's nothing I love better than the sound of my own voice. So it, it sounds pretty well. But, um, but, yeah, we're back out there. I mean, you know, think about this. The first Predator we did investigation was in 2004. Wow. And did one in Genesee County, Michigan, near Flint, just, you know, over the last uh, month or so. And, again, we had a guy who was a prison guard. Uh, for the state of Michigan show up, a guy who worked for the state of Michigan, uh, you know, a guy who was an engineer, a guy who was a police officer from Lebanon. It just continues to go on and on and on. That's part of what made, I think, you're so so special is that people tend to have this idea of, like, the boogeyman, this scary guy. I think you did such a great job of showing that these people are your neighbors and your friends and your loved ones. And I think that that nuance is so important. Well, we, you know, we see it in all the investigations. You know, we've got the new series that's rolled out on Discovery Plus on, uh, it's called Onision in Real Life. And it's about this YouTuber, Gregory Jackson, who is, you know, sort of like the R. Kelly of YouTube and accused of all kinds of heinous predatory behavior. And, you know, he sort of got away with it because he was in this YouTube vessel, you know, and people were calling attention to it. And I started to do the YouTube show, not really knowing what I was getting into. And all of a sudden, you know, I've got 300 and some thousand, you know, subscribers and, and millions of views. And so it became this thing that we started to feed, whether it was the pandemic or, you know, uh, the protests and, the, you know, the George Floyd case and, and all that. And so it became a thing. And as part of that, one of the investigations we did was into Onision and we had victims on. So suddenly this has now become you know, a television project on Discovery Plus, and we have another one rolling out next month. And, and it, it's, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, the common theme is predators that we go after. And it's, it's shocking, the, you know, the stories that exist out there, even with all the awareness and uh, all the dialogue that, you know, we've created over the years. Well, when you began, there, of course, was the Internet, but, of course, it's evolved and changed over time. Have you noticed that the way that you approach the stories and the stings have changed and evolved as well? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, think about this. So in 2004, and for the first you know, couple of years we did it, the only chat rooms we used were on AOL and Yahoo with our decoys. Now, today we've got Kick and Skip the Games and you know, TikTok and interactive video games where kids can be approached and combine that with the fact that we've been in a pandemic for going on a year now where kids are spending more time online and adults themselves spending more on time, more time online and perhaps not monitoring their kids' uh, activities. It's a perfect storm for predators to approach kids and the predators know that. And so we see that happening. But yeah, our technology and our investigative techniques have had to change and grow and adapt to the ever-changing culture. I mean, every, every time we do one, I learn of a different app or a different way that kids can be approached. And it's, it's, it's not going away. So you need to educate kids. And that's the other reason why we thought it was a good time to do the podcast. And we had, you know, we were talking about this for years and finally just have to go do it, you know. And, and it reminds parents and kids um, and future parents that, you know, this is an issue. And, and we try to, as always, in every project, raise awareness, create the dialogue, take folks to a place they wouldn't normally get to go and see and hear things they wouldn't normally get to see and hear. It's this journey of discovery 
you know, that we take people along on. Well, and hopefully, even though the bad guys may have more opportunity to exploit people, hopefully on the other side, we have more opportunities to get them through technology as well. Right. And I think, I think the dialogue, you know, continues to, to grow. And, and um, you know, I think parents are way more aware than um, they were 14, right. 15 years ago. And I hear this all the time. It's one of, the, honestly, the most gratifying things about the whole predator experience is that, you know, I'll hear, you know, on Cameo, for instance, somebody say, you know, my mom and dad made me watch this with them you know, in 2005, 2006, and I never forgot what danger is out there, and not just from sexual predators, but financial predators and, and, you know, anybody else who could exploit the Internet. Well, even though you're doing the Lord's work and it's probably very fulfilling, does it feel ever draining, like you need a break? Because, you know, it's kind of tough. I get to, you know, disconnect sometimes. We're, we're very fortunate. We, you know, we have the apartment here in New York City where I'm at right this minute, and then we have a home in Michigan. And so I get to go there, and I get to drive a car and go to Costco and, you know, do regular guy stuff and shovel the driveway and cut the lawn. So, you know, that, as simplistic as it sounds, it, it keeps you somewhat connected because you can get into this New York network life and where you're go, 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 go. And, and yeah, we go to LA for shoots and stories and things and travel, you know, less so during the pandemic and, you know, spend a lot of time in New York, but it, it, that being able to get out of here every once in a while does tend to help you be grounded. And, and, and yeah, especially when, you know, you, you delve into this YouTube world, for instance, and there are a lot of people who are very resentful that, a guy who's not a YouTuber, you know, the 61-year-old guy who's a TV reporter, is now in their world shaking it up. And so you can be the target of some nasty Twitter battle. No. And, and you got, yeah, it, it happens all the time. But you got to tune it out. You know, it's, it's just, it's, I tell people all the time, it's like angry ants in a jar. You know, they're irritating, <laughs> but they're in the jar. They can't get out of the jar. There's nothing really can say stuff about you, but there's nothing they can do to really hurt you. So you have, and I tell this to victims of predator behavior all the time, you know, with whom I work uh, in these various stories, including the one right now in Discovery Plus. I said, you know, it's unpleasant, but you win at the end because your story is being told, the truth is being told, justice will be served, and and these predators will be held accountable. And so there is this in between moment of people, you know, and they'll say whatever. There's no consequences. It's the same way that it works with predators online they in some cases they 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 dehumanize it because they're not looking at somebody in the face so they'll say things they wouldn't say face to face and then it becomes acceptable so it continues and continues and uh, you know they, they do the same thing in the in on, on twitter sometimes they just think well it's not real i can say whatever i want it has no consequences right. but it does and that bullying and that you know predatory behavior should not be tolerated and i think a lot of these social media platforms and we saw this uh, topic of our investigation, the focus of our investigation, get demonetized just yesterday on, on YouTube because I think... Yours? Not mine. No, no, no. Oh. The, tar- the target of our investigation. Oh, the target. Okay, yeah. that's great. <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of a big deal. So anyway, um, I think there's a day of reckoning coming for all social media platforms in terms of responsibility. And you talk about the issue of 230 and, you know, should the Internet... Uh, social media platforms be held responsible for what is said. Right. 
you know, on their platform. And it's a, it's a vexing question. It's yes. not a simple one to answer. And I'm the first guy to stand up for First Amendment rights. But when it crosses the line into harassment, bullying, and illegal behavior, that's it. You know, yeah, it seems like we've only just forth. begun sort of. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> a massive, massive, massive issue. And, you know, online is one thing, and you can sort of maintain your presence. But when you're actually in the stings, in person, waiting for somebody, you seem so steady <laughs> and, um, you know, calm. And I don't know, is that accurate, or do you feel something different? Well, I think you're, you're, you're focused, okay. you know, because there's so much going on. And, again, you know, it, it's one of those things that, probably looks more dangerous than it is, but you never want to take it for granted. You know, it's, it's like you're paying attention to where his hands are, to what's happening to, you know, um, where are the law enforcement agents and each setup is different. I mean, the last one we did, we had to kind of change our normal protocol largely because of COVID. And so it was in a much more controlled environment. So there was less, danger theoretically than some of them where there's more opportunity to interact with the predator. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're just really focused. And then once the situation settles down, then you're thinking as a journalist, okay, let's get the moments, you know, let's get inside this guy's head. I mean, anybody can jump out from behind the bushes and, you know, create 10 seconds of um, dramatic television. My goal in, in these confrontations and all these interviews is to get inside this guy's head you know, figure out what it was that brought him to this situation. And by understanding the mind of a criminal or a predator and combining that with the voice of a victim, I think we can prevent other people from becoming victims. And that's, you know, that's kind of my mantra on all of this stuff. When, when doing that, do you feel like you've learned a lot about human behavior and the way human Absolutely. psychology? Yeah, tell yeah. me. Well, I'm not, you know, again, I, I joke with people, I'm not a therapist. I just play one on TV, but I do think that these guys break down into three different categories. There's the hardcore offender who would be doing this with or without the internet, you know, right. playground, the bad little league coach, whatever, uh, scoutmaster. And, and, and then there's um, a younger group of guys who are socially inept, uh, striking out left and right, and this is their chance to, to, to prey upon somebody vulnerable and actually have this first, you know, intimate sexual encounter. And those guys can probably be, you know, given probation and monitored and, you know, say you're going to get locked up if you do it again. And some of these guys can, you know, not do it again. And then there's this more difficult to understand group in the middle, guys who, you know, have a predilection for it perhaps, but wouldn't be doing it without the Internet, the 24-hour access, the anonymity and the addictive nature of it. And these are the guys who, you know, toy with it, say things online they wouldn't say in person and suddenly they cross this line between fantasy and reality and they're knocking on our door. And that, that, that's the majority, honestly. Do you ever feel sorry for them? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes. And you know, in the younger cases, the last, you know, we're, we're putting together a new TV series on the, on the whole, um, with the predator investigations, but we have them out on the YouTube channel. I have a seat with Chris Hansen right now. And the latest episode involves a guy who's 18. And so you ask yourself, you know, do you put this guy on? Mm-hmm. Is he too young? Uh, the target 
uh, girl decoy was posing as a, a 14, 15 year old. And you could argue in one sense that there are high school relationships where somebody just turned 18 and somebody's about to turn 16. And what's the difference? Well, the difference is that this guy went online, knew somebody was underage, and went there specifically to have illegal uh, sex with this girl. In the meantime, if you look at his background, he's got a history of S&M and all kinds of other things. He brought mm. things with him that were uh, that raised questions. And then you find out that he's a babysitter. Oh, Lord. I mean, yeah. you, have to, you, have to, you have to weigh all that stuff in. We mm-hmm. didn't just bust somebody who was dating somebody who was younger in high school. This wasn't a date. Right. This was a solicitation online. And then you ask yourself, okay, does an 18-year-old pose any less danger than a 28-year-old? Right. And what if it wasn't a sting? What if we weren't there and a girl was? What would happen? You know, and is that going to be the first sexual relationship she has in her life? And how is that going to damage and impact her forever? You know, so those all weigh into it. And then once you, you know, you process all that, you tend to feel a little less sorry. It surfaces in the investigation. And so you do this and then you're done work for the day. Are you able to compartmentalize or does it kind of linger Sometimes it lingers, and it's, you know, the workday is funny, and I'm sure you experience it, and we all experience it in this pandemic work world where, you know, we're set up (laughs) in our, many times, the environment in which we live. And so you work from 8 a.m. to noon, and you make a sandwich, and then, you you know, you go back to it and run to the CVS, and you go to the cleaners in the bank, and then you go back over. So you find yourself, at least I do, working until, you know, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm a notoriously late diner, so it's which is I know horrible for you, but you know it'll be eight thirty nine o'clock. And if we do a live show on YouTube, then it's even later. And so you know you're scraping around making some, you know, making a steak at uh, you know ten o'clock at night, which probably isn't the best thing for you. But yeah, I, I just, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm pretty good at that. I, I, I right, have a, my you've routine. been doing this for a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's, you can't, you you, it's, you have to, otherwise you, you know, you just you're just one dimensional if you don't have other things going on. I was looking through um, comments people write under your Instagram and I was thinking about sort of like the South Park thing, how you basically become a meme, how strange (laughs) that must feel. And then I was wondering, is there any question that people ask that you wish you'd never hear again? Uh, No, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, look, when you're a public figure, that's what you uh, for, you know, and, and I think, you know, I think people do like to know a little bit about your personality, and they, they like to know about Gabriel, and and they, you know, they see pictures of the, of the kids, all of them, and and so they they get a slice of you know what is a regular family life as much as you know you can be if you're me, and and um, I, I guess the question is the most asked question would be. You know what is the blank predator, the strangest, the scariest, the right. most and, and and people ask personal questions too, and, and I and I try to engage. It's, it's impossible to to do um, to answer every question, yeah. but it's and I found that you know I started doing the cameo thing a year or so ago, and and um, what a great way of fan engagement. Yeah, people love it. it. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying it, it's. I have found no other way to engage with followers or fans than that. And you end up, you know, getting some very personal Aww. requests 
you know, somebody who's ill or might even be in the last stage of life. And, and, and suddenly you're, you know, you, you have this sense of responsibility. This just isn't, you know, telling a joke or making somebody laugh. This is like, that's so important special. Here, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it just, it was, it's been an interesting experience for me to, to when they feel like you're their friend or, you know, someone well, they I mean, can trust. They're watching you for, you know, going on 40 years. <laughs> yeah. You, you've been you know, in our living yeah. rooms. I know. I, I mean, that's my favorite honor. one is, is, uh, uh, you know, my dog can only sleep if we have, you know, one of your shows on because your voice soothes him or something. <laughs> now that is high praise. I can, my I can, God. I, you that favor. I hope I'm not putting everybody to sleep. With my <laughs> Pay attention. But I that. asked our listeners if they had questions. Can I ask you one or two? A- absolutely. Sure. Okay. Um, by the way, people are bonkers for you as you, I'm sure know. I mean, they just adore you. Wendy would like to know if you've ever caught any female predators. You know, that's an excellent question. Um, And the answer is no. We had um, a fellow one time say he was going to bring his wife or girlfriend, but it didn't happen. And and I think the reason why is that when you talk to the, the psychiatrists who study this, female predators don't like the anonymity you mostly see the teacher student scenario when you're talking about a female predator huh. uh, male predators do like the anonymity and the, the conquest and the, the thrill of meeting somebody for the first time so um you know it's been predominantly male wow. i mean all male not predominantly all male we've never seen one um a female show up. now there have been cases obviously and and i read about one in, in the book i put out several years ago but We've never seen it. Tiffany wants to know, after all these episodes, can you spot the bad guys out in the wild just by intuition? Yeah, it, it's funny because the, the, the kids will say every once in a while, it's like, oh, yeah, check that guy out over there. I'm surprised he hasn't been in one of your shows. <laughs> and, uh, and, and not really. I mean, no more than any other, you know, JP character you might see, you know, walking around and, and on any given day in New York City or anywhere else. You, you don't know. think you have, like, a fine-tuned A, a sense. sixth sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you could – I tell you one interesting story. I was in Thailand on a unrelated story to the whole predator thing where it was a murder story, and, and, uh, and we're at the hotel in either Chiang Mai or Chiang Rai, I forget which, and I'm in the elevator – and an American gets on with uh, an Asian young woman who clearly is underage, and, and he sees me, and oh he recognizes gosh. me, and you can see the sweat pour down off his um, oh off forehead. And, and, and I kind of look at him, and I give him that, no, oh, I understand what's going on here. And, and, uh, and I'm processing it as it's happening, too, so I, you know, I didn't intervene. But, uh, um, yeah, he thought he was in for it. Oh my gosh, I wish. Citizen's arrest. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you, oh, they, a lot of people want to know if you want, if you ever have the urge to beat the hell out of these people. <laughs> <laughs> I get asked that a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah, some of them, you, you, you know, as a parent, um, yeah. you know, it, it gets you, you know, and, and, and some of them are so arrogant and so, um, you know, in denial. And right. Wanting to blame you for their issue. It's like, you know, dude, you're the one who came here, right? This is not entrapment by any definition. Very gaslighting you. Ethically, you know, it's, it's, you're here, and I've got the transcript. And so, you know, you can try and ebity, ebity, ebity all you want, but, you know. Oh, my God. 
pretty black and white. I have anxiety just thinking about saying <laughs> that. Okay, we ask one last thing of each person that comes on the show, which is, if you have a car, what do you keep in the trunk of your car? Well, for me, I have a bulletproof vest. Oh my God. It's custom made, though, so it fits. <laughs> you do? For real? Not for everyday use. I have one Hilarious. For, for the predator's things, but that's just where it lives in the trunk of the car. Oh my God. So, uh, I can honestly say nobody's ever said that before on this show. <laughs> Anything the, else in there? Yeah, there's a you know emergency kit and... And, yeah. uh, obviously beef jerky or something. But, uh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Me. Thanks for having me. I'll have everyone check out Predators I've Caught and all the other good stuff you have cooking. Thank awesome. you so much. Thank you. Take care. Did you know that everyone has an aura? Do you know what color your aura is? Maybe you have a fiery red personality or a quiet and calm blue or green. You could be an organized and methodical yellow or an explosive purple. Come join me, Mystic Michaela, on my podcast, Know Your Aura, to find out all about how your personality can be explained in colors. 